Ready, Freddy. Yep. Luna's ready. Luna's ready. Luna, do you want to be on this episode? Are you secretly a shapeshifter? Did we just call you out? It's not your dinner time yet, is it? Actually, it is kind of dinner time. I just fed them. You just fed them? You just got fed, you dum-dum. <laughs> Go eat. While Mommy and Daddy record another episode <laughs> of Soon to Be a Major Motion podcast, the podcast where we uh, discuss film adaptations of novels. In this case, a graphic novel. I am one of your hosts, Billy Beck. I am Cody Beck, your other host. And uh, this week uh, we're talking about Nimona, but before that, how have you been since the Jurassic Park episode? Uh, I've been I've been good. Um, we had a system, a major system change at work, so that was a disaster trying to implement that this week. Um, and I accidentally went a little viral and plugged the pod. Which, if you're coming here, if you're hearing this from the Bird Law tweet... <laughs> Welcome. You are welcome here. Yes, thank you so much. We appreciate all of the listeners. We are on the side of the combination tree law, bird law, <laughs> uh, even though the fine was only like 250 bucks. Disappointing on the tree law side. Hopefully it gets things changed for the future. Maybe tree law is the distraction and bird law is going to hit him with a left hook, knock him out. I hope so. We're clearly on the on the side of the strikers. Yes. For, for the record... Um, we, we, as a podcast, which this might be a bad idea, say, fuck the AMPTP, stand with the unions. Stand with the unions. We always stand with the unions here. Hmm? I've been doing okay. Thank you for asking. I never ask you. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. I think I've asked you once. I was like, like egging you on too. I was doing the everything. You really were, and I just was not picking up your your uh, your social cues. It's almost like I'm autistic or something. Wow, me too. Um, I'm sleepy. Why are you sleepy? If you can't tell, I'm fucking exhausted. What what world events have caused you to change your sleep schedule, William? Well, since uh, the last recording, uh, the last recording, uh, I, I mentioned I was watching the Tour de France, um, which the second week of it was fucking awesome. Tade Pogacar was, like, within 15 seconds of Jonas Vingegaard for, like, four days. And he was trying to steal a second here, a second there. It was very exciting. And then on Tuesday, in the time trial, Jonas was like, nah, fuck that. It took a minute and a half. And then the next night, it took another five minutes. And the tour's basically over now. Um, but that's fine. It was good timing, because Wednesday night was the start of the Women's World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as the soccer-obsessed fucking dork I am... I have not slept in, like, three nights. (laughs) To be fair, there are, like, normally we're only following the women, the U.S. women's team, but we got three teams to follow because of our homegrowns, our ACFC. Our Angel City girls, June Endo, with her goal and assist last night. Who is it that plays? Captain. Oh, Captain Allie Riley. With New Zealand's first ever win? Men or women's, they won the World uh, They won in a World Cup. I'm so tired. I'm going to misspeak all over this. And I'm not going to edit. I'll get to that. Um, I'm also paying attention to the city women. Uh, Bunny Shaw, I think, plays tonight. Oh, is she? What She's Jamaica. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have so many, like, players I love that play for Jamaican teams. <laughs> Her and Andre Blake, man. They're, they're my people. But yeah, this isn't going to be well edited like they ever are, uh, because we're about to go on vacation in two days, and we pushed this till way late. Well, okay, so (laughs) I couldn't get the book, because mistakenly, several weeks ago, I saw it at Barnes & Noble, and I was like, I can totally get it, not realizing that the movie came out in between when I saw it at Barnes & Noble and when I went to pick it up. 
Like, this is a new movie. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to do the rounds. Um, I watched it again this morning. And uh, I think it's number four on Netflix for kids. Have we said what we're doing yet? <laughs> I mentioned Nimona. Did I not mention Nimona? It's the title of the episode. <laughs> we're talking about Nimona. By Nate Stevenson. And uh, adapted to film uh, for Netflix, like, last month. Yeah. Brand new. We're actually hitting something uh, current for once. Look at us go! This is this is podcasting. <laughs> this is... Okay, Jeff. This is that good shit. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you first uh, come to know about Nimona? So I was at the library because we live very close to our local uh, regional branch of the library. And there was an adorable librarian who I'm pretty sure, uh, based on her recommendations to me, was actually a demon in human form. She gave me, uh, I went up to her, she saw me in front of the graphic novels, and she was like, oh, are you looking for some recommendations? And I said, of course. So she recommended to me Wonder Woman, Nimona, oh my goodness, I can't remember what the third one was, but it was another thing that just ripped my soul out of my body, and uh, Mockingbird, which was just fun and charming. (laughs) But she gave me Nimona. And I read it. At the time, I was working in a call center where I worked very early in the morning um, and over the weekend, so we didn't get a lot of calls. I didn't get a lot of... um, There were no other people in the building with me. So I basically read, like, 30 books in the span of three months. One of them was Nimona, and I distinctly remember sitting at my desk, weeping as I finished the book. And I returned her to the library, and I have been hunting down that librarian ever since, and I have not seen her again, ever. I'm pretty sure she was put on this planet to give me this book and cause me emotional trauma. Well, it's a good thing, because now we got an episode out of it. (laughs) We sure did. And Bill, what was your introduction to this book? So, the movie came out last month, and you said, oh, they made that into a movie. And I said, made what into a movie? (laughs) And we had already been doing the podcast at that point. Yeah. So I believe the next thing was, okay, we're doing an episode on Nimona. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that was my introduction. I had not heard of it. I had not heard of the author. I didn't see any advertising for it. And that's kind of a Netflix thing. They don't like to advertise their stuff. Yeah. Why would they do that? That just makes sense. The only adverti- advertisement that I've seen for it was one of the songs popped up on my weekly Spotify release radar oh which one? Oh lord i don't even remember was it the k-flay song or was it the um the metric one that is an excellent question i don't think it was k-flay it's probably the metric song then yeah i'll probably cut this no i won't i'm tired <laughs> and i'm gonna be tired tomorrow and i have to edit this tomorrow <laughs> uh, anywho yes. let's listen to a trailer Queen Killer is still out there. Everyone is scared. He's a murderer. He's a monster. He's perfect. Hey, boss. Who are you? The name's Nimona. Your sidekick has arrived. I don't need a sidekick. Every villain needs a sidekick. I'm not a villain. The real villain is still out there, and I do need help. And then... Who do you want to kill first? What? Look, I can help you, but promise me you won't freak out. Why would I trust you? Promise! I promise! Even when you see the horn? Horn! Promise! I promise, promise, I will not freak! 
This is the part where you run. They call me help! They call me Stacy! They call me help! They call me Jane! That's not my name! You did that on purpose. You catch on quick, boss! That's not my name! Something, 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 we win. I'm Mr. Cat, if they throw me the ball. If anyone can find them, it's me. They call me help! They call me Stacy! Ambrosius really thinks I'm a murderer. That's not my name! You got betrayed by someone you trusted. Because once everyone sees you as a villain, that's not my name! That's what you are. Do you think you saw us? Yes. <laughs> The world kicks you around sometimes. But together, we can kick it back. Mona, smart, kind, and sophisticated. That guy just beat his armor. He beat his armor. Oh, I like where this is going. Let's break stuff. Promise I'm your official sidekick forever and ever. No take backsies. Can you just be you? I don't follow. So let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to start with the movie. Because I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a Netflix subscription. It's a short movie. You've probably seen it. It's how you found us. Whatever. So just a rundown of what happens. A thousand years ago, a woman named Glorith killed a monster. Modern times, uh, her kingdom still stands within its walls, cannons facing outwards to prevent more monsters from getting in. Uh, we're living in like a medieval setting, but modern times, so cell phones and flying cars, but also medieval robes and knights. Actually, really cool setting. Fucking loved it. I think it's technically considered, uh, it would be considered an urban fantasy. Urban, yeah, urban, I, I was like... Trying to figure out what to call it because it feels like a future it's, fantasy. It's it's an interesting. Yeah, it's like a. I guess I would. I don't want to say it's speculative fiction because it's not. No. But it's. It's like retro future, but like way retro future. Yeah. Like what if fashion never changed, but technology still progresses? It's, it's yeah fascinating. Anywho, already on a tangent. <laughs> um, we meet our hero, uh, Ballister, who's just a street kid. But he's going to be the first uh, non-royal, the first commoner to be knighted. Um, he's going to be one of the protectors of uh, the kingdom. At this ceremony, uh, he's handed his sword by the queen, and the hilt of the sword opens up and shoots the queen dead. And his boyfriend, uh, Ambrosius Goldenloin, <laughs> can't get over that name, uh, in a gut instinct cuts off his arm. Disarming him, figuratively and literally, but a piece of the set above them collapses and he escapes underground. Now on the run, he meets Nimona. She appears at his front door, offering to be his sidekick. And then from here we get into like classic, you know, story shit. They're trying to solve the murder, who really set him up, who swapped his swords and got the queen killed. Um, and as they continue to adventure, they get to know each other a little bit better and learn more about each other's uh, histories and, and wants and desires. Eventually, they learn that the director of the academy, known only as the director, is the one who switched out the sword. 
and they get her to admit to it by having Nimona, who is a shapeshifter, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, kind of an important plot point. Yeah, that's kind of a big a big bit. Uh, we we <laughs> learn that as the audience when uh, he gets arrested immediately. And then she pops up to bust him out of jail. And he doesn't see how she gets in and where all the guards have gone and what happened until they're in a supply closet. And she's like, promise you won't freak out. And turns into a rhinoceros and just wrecks <laughs> shit. <laughs> So they get the uh, confession from the director because she, uh, she being Nimona, shifts into Ambrosius and confronts her and she admits to it after stabbing Ambrosius. But Ballister gets it on film, Nimona turns back into Nimona and the sword just kind of drops and they escape. The kingdom hears about it, they start rioting, who's the real villain here? Because the first half of this movie... We've got these villains, Ballister and Nimona, mm-hmm. who's the real villain. So Ambrosius is leading the team that's trying to arrest the Queen Killer. After this happens, he goes to arrest the director when she reveals a scroll from a thousand years ago that shows the monster that Glorith defeated, so you know, found the kingdom. It's actually Nimona. So Ambrosius goes back to his boyfriend, partner, best friend, Ballister. <laughs> I think he's described as all three in the movie. Brings him the scroll. Tells him the truth. Ballister confronts Demona about this. And this betrayal sets her off running. And this is where we get her backstory. Where yes, she is the quote monster. Um, but she hates being called that. Because it's it's a label put onto her by other people. When in reality, she was just looking for a place to fit in. She wasn't fitting in with any animals. <clears throat> she made friends with a child, Glorith. And as they're play fighting, Nimona's a bear. An adult comes by, pulls Glorith out. They threaten the bear. Nimona transforms back into a little girl, just like, hey, no, 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 I'm safe. It's fine. It's fine. And everyone's more frightened by that. Mm-hmm. And in this flashback, this is actually, we don't even know that it's Glorith until the end when the town's on fire. Everything's gone wrong for Nimona. And Nimona approaches her and says, Glorith, it's me. And Glorith goes, go back to the shadows from whence you came. And that is the myth that this entire thousand-year reign of this kingdom was built on. So, in her distress, she transforms into the giant black monster of lore and decides, it's time, I'm gonna do it. And she just marches through town, opens her skin, uh, revealing her heart, to stab it on a giant statue of Glorith holding a sword. And is prevented from doing so by Ballister, who realizes he fucked up, understands that she just needs acceptance. She just needs love. And he's on the end of the sword. It's a giant statue. And he holds his hand up to her heart. And she turns back into the little girl and they hug. But in the meantime, the director is turning the cannons on the walls inwards towards the city. And she knows she's going to kill a lot of people. But she's going to kill Nimona anyway and fires the cannon. I'm just going to wait. Yes. Our Chipotle has arrived. As I'm at the climax of the fucking movie. I know! <laughs> fucking burritos! Let's Terrible go! Terrible timing! So, the director uh, turns the cannons inwards towards the city, knowing that it's going to cause massive casualties if she fires it at Nimona. Chooses to do so anyway. Nimona transforms into a literal phoenix. Yes. 
flies into the end of the cannon, and it explodes, blowing half the wall off, and revealing that the outside is not dangerous. It's peaceful. There's just mountains and streams and valleys, and it's lovely, and they've isolated themselves for a thousand years based on this fear, this myth that these monsters are coming that aren't even real. So in the uh, epilogue, shall we say, Ballister and Ambrosius are back together. Yay! The wall has been transformed into, like, wall-top gardens, and it's, like, living spaces. Uh, the gap in the wall remains open. It's now a trade route. And there's a uh, memorial for Nimona. And even Todd, the dickhead knight who ruins everything, is leaving flowers at Nimona's memorial. And Ballister goes back to his hideout where he and Nimona spend a lot of time together. He starts cleaning up the place, and there's a knock on the door, and he opens it, and no one's there, but there's a pink mist behind him, and hears her voice, hey boss, he turns around and he goes, oh shit, and then credits roll. <laughs> and so that was the movie Nimona. Which is fascinating. Why is this fascinating? Because it manages to keep the same themes while being almost entirely different from the book. Go on. So in the book, um, <clears throat> we are introduced to Ballister Blackheart when... Nimona shows up saying the Institute sent him sent her to be his sidekick. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, the Institute sent me to be your sidekick. Okay, where's the letter? All right, there's no letter. I just wanted to be, a, be your sidekick. Because in the book, it sounds like in the movie they're young. In the book... He's like in his 20s, maybe. In the book, he is already an established villain. Hmm. This is something that has the the incident with Golden Loin and losing his arm happened like probably a decade ago in the book. So he is an established villain. He agrees to take uh take Nimona on as a sidekick. We get a little bit about his backstory because she notices his arm, uh, and we get the the story that he was once a knight for the institution, but lost an arm in a joust with Ambrosius Goldenloin, who is now the institution's champion. Ambrosius Goldenloin. Uh, so Blackheart seeks to destroy the institution because he sees that it's evil, um, but he operates under his own specific code of ethics. There is that normal uh, uh, scene of, like, them clashing, and the problem is that Nimona keeps killing people, and he's like, stop! Stop killing people! Uh, it's actually very funny. They discover that the institution is using Jade Root, which is a poisonous plant used in uh, dark magic, and they're stockpiling enormous quantities of it. Blackheart has Nimona impersonate a TV news anchor to publicize this and plants poisonous but non-fatal apples in market uh, to mimic the signs of jade root poisoning uh, to prove that the uh, institution is actually doing this, to give proof to that. Uh, the Institute's director, who again is just named director, orders Goldenloin to kill Nimona. Uh, instead, he meets Blackheart in a tavern, begging him to send Nimona away instead. Uh, Blackheart meets Dr. Meredith Blitzmeyer, who has made a device powered by quote-unquote anomalous energy. When Nimona is near the device, she cannot transform. Goldenloin continues to refuse orders to kill him. It's 
uh, hinted that Blackheart and Goldenloin were more than just friends. It is not made 100% explicit, but it is real clear that they they were boning. Oh, there's a smooch at the end of this. <laughs> like, and not an insignificant one. They do not have that type of um, physical relationship in this, but also this book came out in like 2015, so... Ultimately, Goldenloin agrees to kill Nimona to keep Blackheart alive. At a public event, uh, Nimona and Blackheart spread more poison, and while people panic about its effects, Blackheart speaks and convinces people to rebel against the institution. He is captured by Goldenloin and used as a trap to lure Nimona. Her head is fully sliced off during this fight, but she lives and they escape. Uh, Blackheart questions her powers, and she lets it slip that her earlier story that a witch cast a spell on her as a child was made up. They argue, and Nimona leaves. Blackheart learns that his poison has actually caused deaths, even though he specifically designed it to be non-fatal. Uh, he sneaks into a hospital to treat the poison victims, but is captured. Goldenloin guards him uh, because he has now been demoted from champion for failing to actually kill or capture either Nimona or uh, Blackheart. The two talk, and Goldenloin finally admits that the jousting incident was not an accident. The director offered him the position of champion on the condition that he win the joust against Blackheart and gave him an explosive lance to ensure his victory. He still lost, but he activated the lance afterward in desperation and shot uh, Blackheart in the arm, causing his arm to uh, be destroyed. Blackheart is brought to an institution laboratory where the director reveals their uh, various occult experiments to develop weapons. Uh, she even says something to the effect of a uh, an aggressive nation is a is a strong nation. Nimona is actually imprisoned there. Uh, she attempted to rescue Blackheart, but she was captured in a vessel built to contain Jade Root. They take a blood sample out, but Nimona still has control over the cells. And so they turn, she basically lets her rage loose and turns into a colossal beast uh, that escapes to kill the director and ravage the city. A flashback shows Nimona trapped by villagers in a basically like a well. Uh, she claimed to be one of their children, but they believe that she was actually a changeling that took the place of someone who died. The institution took Nimona and experimented on her. I don't know if it's actually the institution from here or if it's a different institution. It's not made really clear because it's also clearly a long time ago. Blackheart tells Goldenloin about Blitzmeyer's device, which he uses to fight the beast. The human form of Nimona learns that Blackheart revealed the device to uh, Goldenloin and turns on him. Blackheart defeats the beast, but the fight damages the lab and activates its automatic purge system blackheart escapes carrying golden loin but nimona does not neither version of her um the disasters make clear the institution's use of jade root and blackheart becomes a hero while watching over golden loin in the hospital a doctor calls nimona a monster and blackheart insists that she was not when the same doctor returns moments later blackheart realizes that the first doctor was nimona uh, he chases after her but she disappears into the crowd in the epilogue, Blackheart and Blitzmeyer found a lab together. Goldenloin and Blackheart become closer. It is very heavily implied they are significant others. Uh, Blackheart never 
officially sees Nimona again to his knowledge, but he thinks about every strange, every stranger and animal who looks at him. Yeah, you weren't kidding. <clears throat> They're a little different. Yeah. But they still hit, like, the same institutional corruption points. Yeah, which I think is the point. Yeah. Uh, Well, let me me just show you. I know their designs are very similar, but please take a look at Ambrosius on the cover of this. So I've never seen any of the art. I never opened the book. So I know you've seen some of the animation because you walked in when I was watching it again today. Yes. Yeah. Um, Similar-ish. I mean, the designs are very similar, at least for Nimona. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, and uh, the uh, <clears throat> let's talk about the adaptation a little bit. Yeah, because this is uh, an interesting story with this adaptation, uh, considering some of the elephants that we haven't addressed in the room yet. Yeah, uh, this was originally ad- uh, set to be adapted by Blue Sky Studios, uh, originally known for I think Ice Age was them, right? I believe. I you're believe correct. that was their big one. Yeah, can't remember what else they did off the top of my head, but Blue Sky was working on it. They were working on it for. A good three, four years, I want to say. A long time. It was originally scheduled to be released in 2020, and then the Disney buyout of Fox happened. Yep. Which included Blue Sky Studios. And the date got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, and then Blue Sky shuttered. The movie was about, depending on reports, 70% complete. Um, That's when Annapurna Animation and Netflix picked it up. Finished the job. So what we've got on Netflix now is mostly what Blue Sky was working on. It's still basically the original idea down to cast. The only thing that changed, I think, was the directors. And then this release, like we said before, last month on Netflix. Uh, directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quain, who had only previously directed Spies in Disguise. Which is interesting. Okay. Blue Sky. Yeah. I think it's the same studio. Okay. Um, it was written by Robert L. Baird, uh, who did Big Hero 6, Monsters University. Mm, this has big heroes. This does have big, big Hero 6 vibes. It really does. Uh, Lloyd Taylor also did Spies in Disguise, and the other writer was Pamela Ribon. Ribbon? There's one B, I assume Ribon, R-I-B-O-N. That sounds right. Who was a writer on Moana <clears throat> and Ralph Breaks the Internet. Okay. Nimona, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. Of course. Of course it was her. I'm not even joking. It's a fucking brilliant performance. She fucking nails it. The the mischievousness, the mischievousness <laughs> of everything. Like when she and uh, Ballister first start adventuring together, and it felt like a D and D thing at first, like a druid and a and a disgraced paladin or something. It um, also gives me like hit girl and kick ass vibes. A little bit, yeah. Um, just the way she says. Things like, and then we'll kill him. Like, <laughs> she, it reminds me of you when you get when you get in that mood. Like, <laughs> I have never committed murder. I was not stated. Ballister was played by Riz Ahmed. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. Um, I knew him from Four Lions. Uh, he did Sound of Metal recently, and they actually based the character design off him. Similarly, uh, Ambrosius was played by Eugene Lee Yang of the Try Guys. Also based his look off him. Yeah, that makes sense. That I saw him on the screen and I was like, he looks like different. So I read that they did that first. They made him look like him and then asked him to audition and heard no one else for the role. <laughs> and uh, the director was Francis Conroy, who was in uh, Catwoman as oh. the old lady Catwoman. Oh my God. Um, she's also in The Aviator. Uh, she's done a lot, but I'm not super familiar with her personally. Okay. 
other names. I think RuPaul's in there as a uh, newscaster at one point. Of course. But every other actor, there's not a lot of big names in this. And a lot of the background vocals were... Background vocals? Is that the right term? Background <laughs> voices. <laughs> a lot of the background voices were like the director. Each director had a character named after them that they voiced. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's the two guys arguing whether it was a sea otter or a river otter that bit him. <laughs> And then when Nimona returns as an otter again, the one is like, I see your confusion because it's got the webbed back feet, but also the tail. And then she attacks. Um, my God, the character of Nimona. Is she like that in the, in the book? Is she just a little mischievous monster? Just her, wants to fuck shit up? Her introduction when she reveals her shape-shifting powers is she's like begging. She's begging Blackheart to take her on as his sidekick. And he's like, no, I don't take children. And she's like, I'm not a child. I'm a shark. And he's like, horrified. And she's like, oh yeah, I probably should mention that I'm a shapeshifter. And he's like, yes, you could have mentioned that. That happens after the jailbreak. It was basically the same thing. He's like, I don't need a 10-year-old. And she's like, you don't spend a lot of time around kids, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she is absolutely a little mischievous, just disaster piece. And I love it. She's such a delightful character. Like, her energy brings so much to the movie that yeah, and that's part of what Chloe Grace Moretz brings to it is that energy. Because every time she's like excited about something, you, the audience, feel as excited as she is, which makes the ending when you learn her backstory and you feel that emotional pain, it makes it all the more painful for us as the audience. So something I didn't bring up because it's the Glora thing is in the book, but it's only mentioned by Blitzmeyer, mm. and Blitzmeyer says that there is a theory. That Glorith actually didn't defeat the monster. The monster defeated Glorith and took her place. And it is heavily implied that is what happened. Mm, That's interesting. Nimona killed Glorith and took her place to hide. It's interesting in the film. Similarly in that it's a different story but the same themes. The the myth that's being told involves an adult Glorith who like slayed a monster. Mm -hmm. But when we learn the truth of the situation, they were children. Mm-hmm. Nimona was like Glorith's best friend. And the only reason she turned was because the adults in her ear were like, no, she's a monster. Mm-hmm. You can't be with a monster, even though Nimona never did harm. In the original backstory, the fake backstory that Nimona gives, she says that she fell she ran across a witch in a well, and there were these raiders that kept attacking her village. And what she wanted was the power to defend her village Mm. and her family. And the witch was like, cool, I'll give that to you if you help me get out of the well. So the witch turned her into a dragon, and when she flew over the village, the village was terrified. So she had to figure out how to turn back. So she ran around for a couple weeks trying to turn back into a human and finally managed it. But by the time she went home, her village had been destroyed mm. and everyone was dead. So all she wanted was to help people and she got turned away. Yeah. You don't know how much of that is true or not. Um, clearly it's not true because of what we learn later. But the as much as we learn about her shape-shifting powers, because the joke, of course, is that Ballister is a gigantic science nerd. Mm-hmm. He wants to know how her power works and she's just like, it's magic. Isn't that enough for you? But finally, in the end, when they're testing her and they're seeing, they're monitoring her, they see every time she transforms, 
every cell in her body is created and destroyed again. Wow. Which is why she's able to change her mass and change shape. So it's interesting you bring that up, his fascination with it. Mm -hmm. Because that's actually, like, the thematic core of the movie, as I read it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because let's address the elephant now. Mm-hmm. Andy Stevenson, who wrote this, is a mm-hmm. trans man. Yes. It was originally published under his dead name. Yes. Um, the, actually, the copy that I have is the original release from 2017 has his dead name on it. Yes. Um, and transness, or the idea of being different, is at the core of this movie. Just, it is present. And there's a few scenes when in the getting-to-know-you phase of Ballister and Nimona's relationship. Mm-hmm. Where he asks things, and she just gives him bullshit answers, and then berates him for asking small-minded questions. Yeah. Uh, A few I wrote down, uh, one of the scenes is on a subway. And he asks, well, she's a a bear at this point eating a piece of pizza. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And he says, can't you just be a girl? It'll be easier if you're a girl. And she replies, easier for who? And he's like, ooh, there's something there. Later on... She, she actually gets hit by an arrow at one point. Does, does that kind of thing happen? Yes. Where he pulls an arrow out of her in the book? Because that's why he's so mad at her when her head gets cut off and she comes back to life. Because he's like, no, you died. So in the movie, he's pulling the arrow out of her and it hurts. Or he's he's acting like she's a human. Mm-hmm. And he's being very careful. He's like, all right, we're going to pull this out. One, two, three. And he pulls it out and she's just nothing on her face. <laughs> and he's like, doesn't that hurt? She's like, no. I mean, a little. And he's like, well, people normally scream at that part. Well, I'm not a people. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Um, and in that same, I think it's that same scene, he asks why she does the shape-shifting so often. And her response is, I feel worse when I don't do it. Like, my insides are itchy. And then I shape-shift, and I'm free. And that sounds like so many descriptions I've heard from trans people we know about what it's like being in the wrong body like that. So yeah, like the that's just such at the core of this story, at least in the film. I'm, I'm curious if it comes out as clearly in the book, or if it sounds like he's more dealing with imperialism and the rise of fascism in the book. It's interesting because this book came out before Nate Stevenson did. Yeah. And I actually read another one of his books called The Fire Never Goes Out, and that is a memoir. Also published before he came out. <laughs> I feel like that needs a few more chapters now. Um, and knowing what we know about him and knowing the timeline of his coming out, it's fascinating reading the last couple chapters of that memoir, which I do recommend, by the way. It's rough at points, but it's good. Because you can see where the disconnect is. Because the last couple chapters are really talking about his mental health and how he's still struggling with it, even though he should be in a good place. And there's actually a section where he goes through and does, like... Because, of course, it's drawn... um, It's a graphic memoir. So it's his own artwork throughout the years. And there's a section where he does a drawing of himself throughout the years. And you can see the the points where he's happier are the points where he's not identifying as feminine. Um, 
And you can kind of draw lines and see, okay, there's definitely more to this story that he's on the verge of. And of course, we only know what he put in the book. He could have known years before and Mm. chosen not to come out until then. So I'm just basing this off of what is in the actual book. But yeah, the, the the book Nimona more focuses on who is actually the monster in this in this situation because okay yes Nimona is a monster she's demonstrated that she is willing and able to kill people but she wouldn't have that power or that ability if the institution had not experimented on her mm-hmm. i mean she would but she wouldn't have the motivation to do it if that makes sense yeah um but also it's like who gets cast in what role the director straight up tells golden loin uh, at one point you're um, you're useful as a pawn, but your naivety gets boring. Mm. Because he believes, he realizes Ballister is telling the truth early and still goes and s- sides with the institution uh, because the director, he thinks it's the best way to protect him. Mm. And um, later when, after... Golden Lloyd finally admits that everything was a, um, that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident per se that lost Ballister's arm. Ballister tells him, you played along all these years. That's not just going to go away. So I think your nail of like playing along with the fascism, even if you think it's your best option, quote unquote, that's really the exploration of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two sections here. I pulled out specifically the um, arrow section, uh, which is, uh, she goes to pull it out. She goes, you're such a granny. It's not even that deep. (laughs) Ow, 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 ow. It's bleeding a lot. (laughs) It's just like, please, please look at the art on these pages. This is great for an audio podcast. Oh, yes. It's wonderful. Oh, uh, where am I at on the page here? Uh, you can oh, start just... at the top. Yeah. Yeah, she's reacting to the pain more in this than she does in the movie. She she just takes it deadpan. The thing is, she's doing that for his benefit because she doesn't want him uh, to know how powerful she is. You know what? Then, because then they, they echo that in the movie when they uh, trick the director into confessing. Mm-hmm. Because when she gets stabbed as Golden Loin... Mm -hmm. Um, she oversells it, like, does the whole, like, flopping on tables, knocking (laughs) stuff over, getting up, grasping stuff, falling over again. (laughs) Full Shawn Michaels. She's (laughs) just like, and then drops, and then another, little twitches and stuff. (laughs) And then she asks, uh, Ballister to rate her performance. (laughs) And he's like, you're not gonna win any awards, but it's pretty good. (laughs) She's like, I've never even taken lessons. They fly away. She also lays out what she knows about her um, powers early in there. So the rules are she can't turn into anything inanimate. She can only turn into creatures that actually exist. That is any person real or made up. But turning into a fictional person is harder. Uh, Three, I'm allergic to bananas. No matter what form I'm in. (laughs) And then he asks if he can run some tests. And her reaction is, this is the only time she reacts violently to him, this early. The bottom of the page. I'm nobody's lab rat. Damn. Yeah. Clearly that is a sticking point for her. And when you find out later that she was in fact a lab rat. 
it's interesting and I think a deliberate choice that they cut that aspect of her backstory. Knowing yeah. what we know now about trans mm-hmm. and Andy Stevenson not being out yet at the time, it makes sense that they wouldn't want to promote a negative idea that trans is something created by man. Exactly. And it's more just something that exists. Yeah. And that is something I greatly appreciate that this movie does. Because when <clears throat> Nimona is introduced into the world chronologically, when we see her the first time in her backstory, she just appears as a mist and is a bird. And then she flies off screen and appears as a fish. We don't see how she starts. Hmm. She just is. And I think that's beautiful in a way. That she's just looking for community with whoever will have her, and it turns out to be baby Glorith. Mm-hmm. And then later, a thousand years later, Ballister. No, but let's talk about the um, the fascism. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I think it's pretty clear, at least in the movie, that the kingdom is uh, representative of the U.S. So it's really interesting how you mentioned that the queen is the one that he kills. Yes. The king is mostly referenced as like a figurehead. The institution clearly has all the power in this situation. Mm-hmm. The king is an afterthought. Nimona keeps wanting to kill the king, and uh, Balish is like, no, why? He's just incompetent. You don't need to do anything with him. Ultimately, she does end up killing the king. When she goes on her rampage, she destroys the castle and kills the king, and that's the end of one of the chapters. Hmm. Um, Nimona does. Yes. But it's an afterthought. It doesn't really change anything, because, again... The power is the institution. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar in the film in that, like, when the queen goes, nothing really changes in the day-to-day life of anybody. It's still the institution that rules. It's a justification. Um, It's fascinating why the queen gets killed in this. Mm -hmm. Fear of the other is, like, the other major theme of this, Mm -hmm. running parallel with being the other. So yeah. to speak. Because you've got Nimona or the monster. You yeah. have the... You've, you've, got, you've got Nimona who's different. She's yep. a monster. She must be feared. Um, the walls surrounding the the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Fear of foreigner. Xenophobia. And uh, fear of lower class is the inciting incident. So Ballister is going to be the first commoner to achieve, achieve knighthood. I don't know if that's true in the book. Mm. But that's his character in the film. In fact, his last name is different. He is given the last name Ballister Boldheart. Mm. He's only referred to as Ballister before his knighting ceremony. He's given the name Boldheart then. He's the first commoner. And during his ceremony, the queen says, from here on, anyone can be a knight. This isn't a hereditary thing anymore. This is going to be a meritocracy. And that's why the director has her killed. Because the director doesn't want that. The director wants to uphold the status quo, wants to keep that power dynamic. And there's uh, three kids that the camera keeps finding hiding under the bleachers during the ceremony that are just so excited to see Ballister because they see himself. It's the the importance of representation in media, you know, um, playing out on screen in a fictional story. Yeah. And there's billboards around that are, I can't remember the wording on the billboard, but there's billboards in the city that are like, anyone can do it, something like that. And about halfway through the movie, you see one of them start getting painted over because the institution is changing that stance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating like how far the director is willing to go to uphold the status quo. And we see that in 
U.S. politics, here we go. Upholding the status quo, also known as, you know, conserving things. Gee, gotta which, build that wall. Push those immigrants into the Rio Grande. Build that wall. If they're different, kill them. Uh, some of the quotes from the movie about this. Uh, they grew up believing they could be a hero if they drove a sword into the heart of anything different. And I'm the monster. Oof. Said by Nimona. The, but, but yeah, like uh, the, the whole idea of upholding the status quo always means somebody is being pushed down. Mm-hmm. Because in this country especially, but globally, basically, there is a power dynamic. There is still a class system, and somebody is always getting pushed down. And that's bad. Yes. In the... You don't really have color in um, the book, because it was... There is some that's colored, and there's some that's not. It was a school project for him, originally, Um he designed these two characters of Blackheart and Nimona and slowly expanded the story and actually published... I say published. It was released on um, Tumblr, the webcomic, originally. I don't know if the full story was. From Tumblr to Netflix. <laughs> the Andy Stevenson story. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also know what else he's done, right? No. She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Oh, the Netflix series? Yeah. No shit! Yes. He created that. Good for him. Um, he also, there's another thing that's, She-Ra is the biggest one, but there's uh, Lumberjanes, the comic. Oh, I remember you reading that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he has dealt with this before. There's actually a implied trans character in Lumberjanes. I haven't finished it. Uh, but there's, there, you have the Boy Scouts and the, the Girl Scouts. I can't remember what they're actually called, but there's a Boy Scout that joins the Girl Scouts. Aw. But... In Nimona, it's coloring is used a lot, um, like shading and that kind of thing, because you have Ambrosius Goldenloin, who is the golden boy. Everyone looks up to him. He is powerful. He is the champion. And then he's literally colored golden and yellow. And you naturally, we've been trained in through media and everything else that, okay, yellow is good. Gold is good. And black is bad. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about Nimona is that Nimona is designed in a way that is not supposed to be appealing to the male gaze. I don't know what the specific hairstyle she has in the uh, graphic novel is called. It is the, um, the goth or punk hairstyle where it's just bangs and the rest of the head is shaved. So clearly, she is not interested in, and she is, she's not a child, but she appears like a child. She's not interested in attracting any attention. She is always just trying to slip around on the sidelines. And that's interesting because that's who we're exploring this universe through, because, like, we're learning things about it as she is. It's interesting you bring up color. Because uh-huh. it's an animated movie. Yes! It's not going to be black and white. It's actually very colorful, which I appreciate. Nimona's color is pink throughout. Uh, whenever she turns into an animal, it's pink. Mm-hmm. Um, even when she does... Uh, there's a scene where she turns into Ballister, and he's got a pink streak in his hair <laughs> when she's him. Like you said, Golden Loins is wearing gold armor. Ballister wears black armor and mm-hmm. darker colors. Um, I think the director is usually in white. Yep, sterile. Yeah. And it's very... 
like you were saying, it's we're trained to believe white's good, black bad. Kind of flips everything on its head a little bit, which I appreciate because yeah. I think kids need to learn to not trust everything. And it's, and it's a kids' movie, generally. Yeah. And you have to. The whole point is challenging expectations. Because Nimona, yes, is tiny and small and she's feminine coded, especially with the pink. So, oh, she's not, she can't possibly be scary. The first time we see her in action, she kills three dudes at once. <laughs> she turns into a, they call it demon baby. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> At one point, and it's just a little boy with gigantic eyes that's just like, my mommy went down this alleyway. Please help me, sir. And the guy they're trying to kidnap is like, I need to have somebody else deal with this. And he's just like, no, now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Terrifies the shit out of the squire guy. <laughs> but yeah, the the challenging perspectives thing. There, there's a great quote from the movie uh, where Ballister, I think he's telling Nimona, we should just run away. We'll go out into the into the wilderness and fend for ourselves, go till we're safe. Mm-hmm. We can't change the way people see us. And N- Nimona replies, you changed the way you see me, didn't you? There's a lot of really good lines like that throughout the movie of uh, just challenging your perspectives and and your, your preconceptions of people. I want to see... And it's, a, it's a powerful message to give kids in a kid's movie, for sure. Especially... In a day and age in which, uh, you know, certain governors in red states are trying to prevent trans people from even existing anymore. I'm going to read Nimona's final speech before the explosion. This is when she finds out that he has told Golden Loin about the device. You told them? Is that why you brought me here? So you could kill us both for good? You're not my friend. You're just like all the others. And then both of them say no when he says, I can turn it off. Just let him go. I've killed people before. That's an understatement. I've killed lots of people. You're not the first one who thought he could help me or fix me or save me. You're not the first one who thought you could care about me until you found out how bad it really was. They called you a monster too. But in the end, you still took their side. Um... And then he says, you're not a monster. And she says, you don't know anything about me. He says, you don't have to do this. There's no one left who can hurt you. And she says, no, there's one left. And then tiny baby her and gigantic monster curl up together. And then the institution is immolated in flames. Yeah, as it should be. (laughs) They destroy the the uh, institution a little different. She uh, transforms into a whale on the top floor and drops down to the bottom. <laughs> Incredible. There are some great beats, because I think we've touched on themes mm-hmm. pretty well, mm-hmm. um, as well as I can in the emotional and mental state I'm in right now. <laughs> but some funny bits. Her turning into a whale and crashing through. Uh, the character of Todd. Is there a Todd in the book? There is not a Todd, but there is a, a Sir Gerthrod. Fantastic. Speaking of, uh, there is a bit when uh, Golden Loin gives Ballister the scroll explaining who Nimona really is. Mm-hmm. He IMs him on his computer, and his screen name is Loins of Gold. Oh my god. Incredible. <laughs> it's so good. It's so fucking good. There's a bit where they're thrashing some guards. 
another wonderful fight scene. And Ballister and Goldenloin are going at it. And Ballister is like, you don't understand her. She's serious and she's smart and and he's like hyping her up and she bounces by as like a sea otter and she goes he peed his suit he peed his armor <laughs> incredible also wanted to make a point i don't think i made it before that we don't actually see nimona kill anybody in the movie she you, injures a lot of people you definitely see dead people in the comic and i think i think it works a little bit better if she doesn't for the story that the movie's trying to tell it's a little yeah. bit different the way they approach what they're doing in the movie yeah so it makes more sense for also kids movie yeah no one can die except for, well i guess she kills the director she murders oh. her dead she murders her so dead how does she kill her in the oh just when she turns into the phoenix and flies into the cannon the director's manning the cannon and the whole thing explodes Okay. Yeah, she gets her good. Let me see if I can find the section. So, <laughs> that's the death of the director. Uh, I'm looking at what looks like a horse that's on fire. Basically, Dark Ponyta <laughs> um, is breathing fire, and uh, what looks like a body is evaporating, and then the horse fire breathing fire horse uh, <laughs> screams into the night. Yeah, that's a little violent for a kid's movie. It gives me, um, th this panel specifically gives me Terminator 2 vibes. I was gonna say, it's very Terminator 2 on the fence, getting shredded. Um, yeah. So I, I desperately want to sit down and watch this movie with you. Yes, I watched it twice in the last two days. I kind of want to throw it on when we're done here. I'll uh -huh. fall asleep if we do. Um, but I, I desperately want you to see this movie. Because the scene that made me think of you, and how you would act... Oh, no. Is when they're getting out of prison. Okay. And he is very sincere. Don't hurt anybody. Don't cause mayhem. And she's like, we're going to break stuff. <laughs> and he's like, no breaking stuff. Follow me. We're getting out of here. And he's sneaking down corridors. And she is just walking at one pace with an arm out, knocking shit down. <laughs> At one point, they go through a security office with monitors and a control panel. And she doesn't even look up. But she grabs a mug of coffee and doesn't break stride, just pours the coffee across the whole control board. <laughs> um, the scene you were watching when uh, when you came in, when I was watching it earlier, the scene that you couldn't hear but you could see. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a bit there where I think she has an axe or something and she throws it across a courtyard and hits a knight in the head. <laughs> but doesn't even look. She just nails him. Like, it's, it's so energetic and fun to watch on screen. It's a beautifully animated movie. Like, the uh, the style... Because it's 3D animated, mm -hmm. but it's not Pixar. They don't go for photorealism anywhere. Everyone's still very stylized, very big eyes, um, very colorful, very bright. The backgrounds are colorful, like, that blend of futuristic and medieval. The only place where it lost me is where computer generation always loses me we just talked about roger rabbit yeah and you could see how much heart went into every frame of that movie because of the animator's hand yep you lose some of that with computer generation you just do yeah and it sucks because there are some emotional beats that might have been just a touch better with a human hand just making minor adjustments but that is the nitpickiest of nitpicks it's a beautiful movie it's energetic it's fun to watch um, I gave it four out of five on Letterboxd. Um, maybe thinking of bumping it up to a four and a half. Because I gave it a four after watching it on my phone at work over three hours. <laughs> if 
you like Nate Stevenson's art style. If you like She-Ra, if you She-Ra is actually probably a little more realistic. If you like She-Ra, if you like um, Lumberjanes, it is very much Nate Stevenson's art style. If you don't like that, you're not going to like the graphic novel. I find it very charming. It is definitely a very easy hallmark of his work, but the story itself is wonderful. I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, this is a good a good recommend. Mm-hmm. It's a very good movie. You know what? Hmm. We've been doing a lot of good movies lately. We did this Jurassic Park, Silence of the Lambs. I think it's time to ruin that shit. Oh, uh, what what suffering do you want to inflict upon yourself? I think the suffering I'm inflicting upon myself on our next episode. I think we're touching H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. I know nothing about that movie. I just know that I hate H.G. Wells. Ah, <laughs> uh, then you're going to get some suffering, too, because it's very Wells. We're going into some ancient sci-fi. Like, what the 1800s thought the future would be like. Well, what uh? Just, get, just give me an idea of the movie. Are we talking, like, modern-ish? So, I don't know the movie. It, it, it was, like, 2005, although I think they made multiple movies. If they did, I'm going to find them. Wait, is this in, like, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen cinematic universe? It's, like, in that style. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're talking... That's the movie, though. The book ain't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to have an interesting one next time. You're going to hate it. It's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched some trash. <laughs> Uh, oh my god, we kept it under an hour. Hell yeah. It's because I'm fucking tired. It's because I'm a shark. And I... <laughs> shark dance. <laughs> uh, now I want to figure out what song it was. I didn't completely fucking... No. No, we kept it on the rails there. Yeah. We kept it almost two on the rails. There just wasn't a lot of trivia to talk about because of... Uh... Oh no, I didn't talk about the Disney thing. It was the K-Flay song. It's T-Rex. Yes, okay. Yeah, fuck it. You, what Disney thing didn't you talk about? Uh, did I mention that internally part of the reason they wanted to uh, delay it um, was because no, the gay contact? They meant you mentioned they delayed it, but you didn't say why. Yeah, yeah, no. They the reason being, according to some internal reports, was because of the queer content, which is very funny when you remember that DeSantis is like fighting Disney because of their like they're too woke. They're too woke. Like, bro, this was not long ago. No. This was during the Trump presidency they were doing this shit. Because like, I remember when it when it died, because I was very sad. Yeah. No, it was like, like I was just looking at the Wikipedia for the movie. And because of the way Wikipedia updates over time, that yeah. article existed when the movie was in a dead state. And there were still some remnants of that in the article. I think that... Um, that's actually why She-Ra happened the way it did, was because I think Nate was working on... Nimona. Mm-hmm. Nimona died, and so he started working on um, She-Ra. Did I tell you that he's a voice in the movie? No! He He's the voice of Quispy Dragon, oh who god. is a serial mascot. Oh my god. That Nimona turns into at one point, and spews giant Quispy Dragon cereals at the guards that are trying to get them. Oh my god. 